Welcome to the USF Podcast, brought to you by education consulting company, Universal Student Fund. Invest in your future. Welcome to another episode of the USF Podcast with your host, Mandela. I'm here to have my guest, Melissa Ovard, founder and principal of Snowboard Consulting Group. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. So before we get started into how you started Snowboard Consulting, let's go a little bit prior before you got into okay. entrepreneur venture. How did you do with that? What was your prior job? And how did you get out of that to transition to your current company? Um, before I founded the firm, which um, I founded in January 2013, I spent probably about eight years doing business development for federal contracting companies, um, meaning companies that primarily do work um, for the U.S. government. A lot of people don't realize, unless you're here in the D.C. Beltway area, um, that the U.S. government pretty much outsources almost everything. And so, um, you know, the familiar companies that we know, like Boeing, Lockheed Martin, Booz Allen, they're all federal contractors. And so I had worked in that realm um, doing business development and proposal management, um, pretty much um, winning bids. And, and after doing that for so many companies and a couple of billion dollars later, I realized I should be doing this for myself, mm-hmm. um, especially since the U.S. government has a really wonderful um, small business program where they really encourage um, women-owned small businesses, um, veteran-owned, service-disabled, veteran-owned, and also minority-owned businesses to start their own business and and get into um, that mix. So how did you figure out company mission? What did you want to sit, now you've worked in that sector, you've seen various companies that you've worked for and had extensive experience in. Mm -hmm. How did you know, this is how I want to structure my company and, and wanted to make it, you know, Snowbird Consulting Group now? I, I took it from a very selfish point of view, from a very, um, you know, my very much my own point of view of what would I have wanted to have stayed at a company. I come from a background where my dad worked for the same firm for 39 years. Wow. And my grandfather, his father worked there too, and his great-grandfather. So almost a total of 200 years they worked for the exact same company. And at first, I after I graduated from college, I felt bad that that wasn't my path or I didn't have that. Um, loyalty, I guess, okay. um, to stay, especially with how um, I would see myself being treated, but also my colleagues, my coworkers being treated. And so I was a bouncer. You know, I went every two to four years, I would change jobs. And so when I decided to do this, it was through the realm of what would I have wanted? What would have attracted me to have stayed and gone up the corporate ladder, you know, and wanted to make VP and then, you know, whatever I could at the C level. Um, because none of the companies that I were at, they were great places to work and they taught me so much. But I just never felt that loyalty that I saw my dad have for 39 years gotcha. the firm he was at. Gotcha. So for you, starting out, you know, creating the business, well, I'm sure there was challenges, but how was it finding not only for yourself the mission for the company, but the team? you know, choosing the right partners. Talk about that and selecting individuals for, for the company. So I'm the, um, I'm the only um, owner per se, but I knew that with federal contracting, you could really go into all these different directions. And the natural path that most um, entrepreneurs in small business federal contracting go with is their subject matter experts in something. So let's say I was a chemical engineer and um, I was in the military and I retired and I also was a service disabled veteran um, status. So you'd start your business and you could get that status or that certification. 
Um, but then a lot of that first work you probably get would be in the chemical engineering realm because you yourself could do that. I knew that my skill set was winning work. And so myself being billable, there wasn't that kind of job out there for the government. So I could only go into the directions of the network that I had. And it was really reaching out to, you know, over 15 to 20 years of working outside of um, college, drawing, um, going back to those folks, those people that you've worked with, those relationships that you've kept, um, those that were, you know, just as much or more so hard workers and inspirations um, to, my, to myself. That's who I went to to see who I had um, that would be willing to take this leap with me. So while I'm the only owner, I definitely feel and see this as more of a consortium of like-minded people um, all coming together, wanting to be um, fair, you know, fairly treated, be validated, um, but also to just do really good work and go above and beyond. So how did you decide what, you know, areas to cover, you know, with contracts? There's just so many areas so that you can cover. Exactly. And so it was based really on the cadre of folks that said they would take this leap with me. And one of those people, one of those individuals was my father. And he's an environmental engineer, and I knew he was going to be retiring soon. Um, but I knew he still wanted to kind of stay in the mix. And my family's in Utah, actually, and air quality is a really big deal in Utah with the Great Salt Lake. Every winter, this is an inversion, and there's really bad smog. Um, and so that was his line of work, was working for a firm and trying to keep them compliant with the EPA and the state laws. He then had created his own network and his own companies. And the nice thing with federal contracting, the federal government by law, 23% um, of all of the work needs to go to small businesses. Mm -hmm. So that right there helps immensely versus the private sector. There is no law that yeah. says they have to go with small businesses. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, a lot of the work that we're eligible to bid on and win, a lot of his consortium or network of folks, especially based in Utah, uh, meaning mostly men, would not be eligible to get themselves. So it wasn't really difficult to find people that wanted to be a part of this. The hard part is it's a, it probably took a lot longer than I expected to get it up and going and finally start procuring contracts. Okay. So that was gonna. That was my next point. Uh, how was that, that bidding process, finding those contracts? Uh, was it something that you anticipated to go... You know, more fa faster than you. I did because okay. since that's my skill set or my subject matter expertise is finding the work and putting together a persuasive compliant bid um, I, I took that for granted because I was doing that for so many other companies and when I first started out because I didn't have a team really together and I was trying to figure out what to do I started consulting to other small businesses and helping them and along the way I saw well if they're they can do this and they're winning this work then this is going to be a no-brainer for us as we keep growing and getting to that place but it's it's the game of the the horse before the cart mm. or the chicken and the egg you can't get work if you don't have past performance it's very very difficult mm. but I don't have any past performance in the government per se I just need you to give me a chance. And, and so it was going through that back and forth. So who was that break for you? That Who gave you that chance on that contract? It was um, mostly, um, so for three years, I was mostly doing work in the private sector. Um, doing a lot of consulting for um, small, small businesses, but also um, mid to large size businesses outside of federal contracting altogether. 
And as you um, are growing your business and producing more revenue, the government has this great program called the 8A Business Development Program. And once you get to a certain point, you're eligible to apply. And so that's what we did, um, I guess, a year ago this summer. We started working on getting the application together. Um, it's very, very thorough. They do a very thorough background check on you. And it, we probably put in four months of preparation wow. in order to get it. Wow. And in that period, did you feel, because you brought these people on on your team and, you know, they've been with you and they've known you, but mm -hmm. was that, you know, on your heart that what can I do to keep these um, definitely, but I was always very upfront with don't quit your day job. Mm. I don't want anyone to quit their day job when they were getting a check every two weeks to come out unless I could replace that. And so that was the beauty of it as well, especially I think in my generation. Um, we all kind of are going through midlife crises, I think, earlier than our parents did. Yeah. And it wasn't too hard to find folks that would be willing to give up the longevity of the company they were at, um, to you know, be moving up the corporate ladder. It's almost like the titles didn't mean as much as feeling valued, having a, a nice work-life balance. Um, of course, you know, putting the time that you need to with your family. And they trusted that that was going to be part of the mission or the main objective of this firm. Yeah. Um, if you do good work and you get it done, that's all we care about, you know, keeping very customer focused, but that doesn't mean you have to be logging in 80 hours just so you can say you logged in 80 hours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. What about the process of the certifications and things like that? Was that something that came easier on when you were looking for bids or was that another difficult it, side? It was easier, I think, for me in the sense that I was used to having to read um, something called an RFP, a request for proposal, which usually on average is about 100 pages and about 30 pages of it is useful. <laughs> okay. um, but you need to be aware of all of the working parts of that and with me doing so much in proposal writing and proposal management, I always compare um, an RFP to being a recipe book because I also like to bake and cook. And so once you can figure out how the recipes laid out and how important the timing is when you're adding things and then getting it all out of the oven at the same time, that pretty much is a proposal. You know, there's a deadline, there's all these working parts and you're managing all of that. That's pretty much in order to get these small business certifications, each application is a mini RFP. Mm. And so me understanding the government language and being able to break that down, that kind of just came natural because of the years of experience I had. Um, but I didn't have a team then that was really doing that. It was really just all me wow. with a lot of wonderful help from mentors. And that's Fantastic. something I would definitely um, encourage your listeners. It, it's so important to get really good mentors. And my mentors, you know, I, I didn't pay them. They knew that I didn't have any money to pay them. They just wanted to help. Mm -hmm. And I think for we as women and wanting to um, start our own businesses, I've just found that women are champions, generally speaking, of other women. Yeah. And almost all of my mentors, I, I have a few wonderful men that have helped too, but most all of them were women that just offered their advice for free and really wanted to see me succeed. 
Mm. You spoke a little bit earlier about when you got into this industry, you know, about this industry, it was very male oriented, yes. right? What what make you what made you break that hesitation and say, you know, I know it's a male oriented industry, but I'm going to go ahead and start this business and, and start my company. A lot of it was just the timing of it with um, the current administration. Um, the Women-Owned Small Business Program has been around for quite a long time, but it was really under President Obama that he wanted to make this a priority. Um, and he did that in his first, um, his first four years, but it's really just been in the last two years that that's finally gotten legs and it started to really happen. Um, and so that's been very helpful in the sense that so many government contracts have, are earmarked that they have to go to women-owned small businesses. Um, and this is the same thing with the 8A program. To, in order to get into the 8A program, you have to um, be socially disadvantaged and economically disadvantaged. Socially disadvantaged meaning um, a minority and, and, or a woman, and then economically disadvantaged. Um, with the government, their terms for being economically disadvantaged are probably a little bit different than the entire world. <laughs> but as long as um, my salary is under 350000 and my assets are under $6 million, you're considered economically disadvantaged. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So for you, where do you see the company going in the next you know, five years or so? So we just got into the 8A program and it's a nine-year program and the okay. whole goal of it is by the time you graduate from it, you are a full-fledged small business, meaning on average you're doing around $15 million a year in receipts or in revenue. Um, and so we're excited that we're in our first year. Um, December will be our anniversary date of our first year and we're starting um, this fall going into the next year with, with four contracts. And just to think back a year ago and how um, we, we had in the works one and to see how far we've come, that's been very, very much um, encouraging, but also to gratifying with, with even though I've only been in the 80 program for a year, you know, I started the company, my four year anniversary is coming up in January. And so it also too is just, you know, a lot of hard work. Um, a lot of um, surrounding yourself with positive people that are going to always be encouraging and and to keep pushing you because there's no way I could have done that if I hadn't had that. Um, but we're excited because, like I was saying before, with choosing where to go was based on the people that I had. Um, so we chose three avenues or three practice groups. Okay. And that's environment and energy, human capital, and international development. Oh, wow. Okay. So talk about the contracts. Give me an overview of what your partners are and what are you doing for them in those areas that you're focusing on for your company. So with the international development, um, that was my own personal place that I wanted to get into because I had done a lot of contracts for other companies for USAID. And... Um, it just was an area of work that, um, one, it's, it's one of the things that we as a U.S. government are very proud of and we can brag about doing that work. There's a lot of other things that we probably do that we don't speak of or we don't definitely not want to brag about. But, you know, trying to alleviate poverty in the world is something that um, is a wonderful thing to be celebrating. Yeah. Um, and so I had um, a great network of uh, folks that I had met through other businesses, through other partners that were mostly based out of Southeast Asia. Okay. And so we decided to focus on that area, especially in the areas of, of environment and climate change because of, of, I mean, there's always a typhoon or some sort of hurricane that's going through Thailand. Mm -hmm. And that area of the world is always experiencing a lot of change in the weather and, and they are trying to find climate change adaptation okay. results pretty much yeah. on how to combat that. Um, 
And then um, with USAID, they're doing a very big push. They've been doing that probably about 10 years of gender on how are we involving more women in all of the work that the USAID is funding to these countries. And of course, that goes very much to my own personal values and politics. And so I knew I wanted to very much get into that realm. Um, so we were able to, um, this week was a great milestone week for us because we had two kickoff um, meetings for our projects. We're doing a, a small subcontract in the Philippines, um, doing a gender study on an agribusiness project. Fantastic. And then um, with USAID, with the Europe and Eurasia Bureau, we're doing um, event planning, communications and logistics for them here in D.C. That's fantastic. So it's, it's, it's been great to, to finally be able to kind of get a foothold into that um, because in my own personal opinion, that is one of the most difficult areas or agencies to get into because it is, it's, it's really fun, celebrated work. Yeah. I was, I was, so a follow-up to that, you know, how much do you take into account when you're doing the bidding process, the cause of the organization or what you're working on? Is that something that's, you know, really in your mind when you bid for a certain contract? Or, it is or? and it's not. That's okay. a really good question. Um, because at the end of the day, I have to always remind myself as well as the people I brought together that this foremost is a business. Yeah. And so if we have to go where the work, um, if the government is not, if USAID is not going to be buying things that we can offer, then we could be hitting the, you know, knocking the door forever and ever and not get any work. And then no one is going to have a job. And, and the last thing I want is, is to, to us not succeed as a business. Um, so to a certain extent, we have to kind of go where the work takes us. And that's probably a lot of the great advice I've gotten from a lot of people that have done this, men and women with small business federal contracting, where you think your firm's going to go five years, six years later, you're going to be surprised where you're at. Mm -hmm. Because it's going to be a lot of where... Um, your relationships and the government wants to take you. But with that being said, you still kind of have, um, I still, is, I'm the only decision maker and I can still make those decisions of, no, I really don't know if I want us to get into maybe the CIA and, and go into things that politically I might not be comfortable with or things like that. However, I've never crossed that bridge yet. Yeah. So um, while I like to say that, um, I don't know for sure. Um, but you kind of, at the beginning, you can kind of just carve out your own path. But that's also the nice thing, too, is I'm doing my best to be able to find work that also fits with um, me, myself, and, my, and the, the partners that I have, personal values and politics, too. Because yeah. if we could be um, generating jobs yeah. and, and making money and being um, a solvent, healthy business, yeah. as well as trying to do work that we're passionate about, yeah. That, to me, is the secret of longevity. <laughs> so talk about that. You, you spoke a little bit about it in the beginning, but your partners come in, they have their expertise. Obviously, they probably have some areas or uh, certain contracts they would love to for you to go in that direction. Uh, how's that decision uh, process for you? Because you have to make the ultimate decision. Yes. If you would like to go in that area, they may have a personal relationship with someone, but maybe it's not a focal point for mm -hmm. you. So how do you make that decision not maybe not to go in that direction, but not lose the partner or you know, the colleague that's working mm -hmm. for you? Um, to be quite honest, I haven't had to cross that bridge yet. Um, I think, though, that if, if it's something that, um, because for me, I feel like the way, with especially any business, but especially with federal contracting, the business is only as good as its people. Sure. And, you know, a lot of people look at federal contracting as body shops. And I understand why people say that and use that word, because there's so much turnover. And so it's very hard to, to differentiate yourself um, 
to have that longevity or that loyalty of folks staying there, especially if you can't provide them a job because the contract has changed over. Um, and so we have to work in those constraints, but if, of course if I can find folks that are very, very passionate about what they do, they're also going to always be looking for, for the next opportunity because contracts end, but there's always another one. Yeah. And so it's also balancing that, uh, that passion, even if it's something that, you know, I don't know per se if I would want to go into security, especially in international development. Yeah. Um, however, that's a need that our USAID folks need, our development folks need, of course, our military sometimes at a certain extent needs that. Yeah. It's always going to be there. Um, and if I had a consultant or a colleague come to me and say, hey, I've got these great connections and this is we can start getting a line of work. I'd really have to consider that and go to my to my senior team and collectively figure out if that would be the best for the Fantastic. company. Fantastic. So, as you said, four years, one year now with these contracts and things like that, looking back, and if you saw someone in your position, mm -hmm. especially a woman, mm -hmm. wanting to start in this area or just a business in general, what would you say to them to advise them to get on this journey uh, of starting a business or anything in this subject area? Definitely to first seek out um, mentors um, and always know that at some point you're going to have to pay it forward. Mm -hmm. um, because for me, it, it definitely was difficult to be on the receiving end. I was so used to giving out advice or you know lending a helping hand on certain ways, but when it came to just starting a business, running a business, and then of course um, going out and really having to sell um, yourself pretty much because you are the company now. Um, that was a new place for me to be at. And if I hadn't had the help and the encouragement um, from some wonderful mentors, I don't know if I could have done it. But also too, it's interesting because most of my mentors had never done it themselves. Oh, wow. But I had helped other businesses do this. Gosh. And it's been interesting to see that a lot of the advice that I got came from people that had never done this themselves. And that's what we're all actually hoping that we can do as a firm as well. We have another line of business that's kind of secondary to this federal contracting, but it is to always be helping other small businesses, offering services to get them where they need to be because we can also say we've been there and done that. Yeah. And I didn't find a lot of that when I first started. It was a lot of great advice from, from people that were always consulting yeah. other businesses, but they had never gone through that themselves. Did you always know, especially with your conversations with your mentors, that you had that entrepreneurial spirit to put the pieces together? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. So how did you find that? Just going, just going through the process? Um, okay. I think going through the process, but also to realizing that I wasn't going to find this dream company to finally land at. Mm. Um, I, I, my, one of my own personal pet peeves with myself is, is you can only complain so long and then you have to act. You have to make the change because then you're just complaining and you're just wasting that energy. Put that energy then into to doing something different then or trying to change what the status quo was. And, and I think that's what was really the driving factor was, okay, Melissa, you're getting now, you know, into your mid to late 30s, and you can't just keep switching jobs like this. Um, but with that said, it's like, but what are you going to do? Because I just couldn't imagine being at a job for like the next 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And also, just to highlight, did you know how much you needed to network for, for this? No. Thing? 
I had no idea how much that was going to be. And people always tell you, oh, it's all about who you know, it's all about relationships. Then, of course, if you're in real estate, it's about location. But it's completely true, especially in federal contracting. It is really about the relationships that you create and who you know and who the people that you know know. Yeah. And, and so a lot of it, too, is just making sure that um, you keep your promises. If, if people, um, you know, just even how I think organically we met, um, if you commit to something, you show up. Um, because I wouldn't be where I'm at right now if it wasn't for other folks introducing me to other people and, and having that just, I mean, then you have to take the ball and run with it. But that's where I have confidence in. But it's getting that door opened. And there's no way you don't have enough arms to keep opening all the doors that you need if you don't have that extra help extra help i like that so where can they find about more about the company and also if they would like to reach out to you personally how can they uh, reach out to you so i'm on linkedin of course uh, melissa ovard i believe is my profile name melissa.ovard and then our company website is snowbirdconsultinggroup.com um, I just want to remind everybody that there's two G's, Snowboard Consulting, and we forget that a lot, uh, so it's a little cumbersome, but um, they definitely can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Really, I'm excited about this new wave of entrepreneurs' um, spirit. I, I think this is, especially with the younger generation, it's not even a question in their mind, they can't do it, and, and I envy that. I wish I had done this 15 years ago. Love it. Well, thank you, Melissa, for being on the USF Podcast, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. you have just listened to another episode of the USF Podcast. Find out more at www.universalstudentfund.org and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Universal Student Fund.